after the mortgage crisis started, a lot of people defaulted on their mortgage and now the banks were sitting with all of these uh, homes, so they started auctioning them off at pennies on the dollar. We're gonna put our lives on the line. We're gonna put up the crew. You just gotta put up the money for us to get this boat together. We're gonna go to this new world. If we travel and along the way the boat sinks, we we lose our lives. You just lose some money. If we get there and and something happens over there with the First Nations and we lose our lives, we lost our lives. You just lost somebody. But if we come back with the riches, now we divide up the riches. You take a share. We take a share. Now, when it comes to investing, obviously the highest yields are in institutional multifamily assets. These are 100 plus doors, apartment communities or apartment buildings. So we basically buy the whole community. Today, we're gonna to talk about real estate again, but we're gonna talk with another expert in real estate who plays in a different market. So he plays in the US market, but lucky for us, we can participate in this US market with him. And because of that, we're gonna be talking about syndication. And so I hope that you guys uh, like this episode and just look at different ways of playing in the real estate market. I hope this one you will like. financial health doc welcome to the financial literacy podcast for healthcare professionals where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo okay so welcome back to how is my financial health doc podcast and I am your host Vuketran. Today we have another treat for the audience and uh, when I say that I usually it's usually because I'm talking about real estate or I'm talking about insurance products and today it's real estate and I have my good friend August on the show. Uh, August is a real specialist in the area of real estate so I'm really looking forward to pick August's brain today. Uh, August, say hello, introduce yourself, and then uh, I'll introduce a little bit more of the topic. Hey, How are Vuket, you today? Vuket, I'm doing great, even better now that I'm here with you. This is a long time coming. We were planning this for a while. Uh, I hope to add value to your audience, and I hope they can lear learn a bit from everything I've been through over the last few years. Well, that's exactly it, right? So I'm hoping that you can share with us your successes uh, and some of your failures, because I'm hoping to learn from you and and whatever you can throw at us is definitely a wise, wise teaching. So I am very much looking forward to our discussion. So August um, is the owner and also principal at CPI uh, Real Estate Investment. So what CPI is Capital. CPI? CPI Capital. CPI so what Capital. is CPI? CPI Capital is a real estate private equity firm. Uh, so it's a real estate investment firm that specializes in acquiring multifamily and BTRSFR 
build to rent single family rental communities. That's the asset class we focus in. And the reason we're called CPI Capital or a private equity firm or an investment firm is because the, the, the equity needed for our projects comes from our passive investors who participate as limited partners in our syndicated deals. Now that's a big, that's, that's, a, lot, that's a mouthful to explain, but essentially what it is, is we buy real estate, we have the knowledge, the expertise, we're the brain power behind you know, sourcing the, these deals and executing the business plan, but at some point we run out of our own money. So we partner with passive investors who like real estate, who believe in real estate, who want to have exposure to these large assets, who can come in at a smaller ticket price, invest 100000 150000 and be part of a syndication and be a limited partner in one of these large acquisitions. Wonderful. Thank you for explaining that. And we will dive deep into these questions of limited partnership, syndication, multifamily, BTRSFR. We'll, 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 we'll take a deep dive into all these alphabet soup. And I'm looking forward to you telling us what that means. So you have been in this business for quite some time and you have been quite successful at it. You're focusing on multifamily and built to rent single family rentals. We're gonna talk a little bit about that because in my previous shows, we did have a sort of a short discussion on you know how to start investing in real estate. And you know what? Most of us being in the healthcare industry, physicians, doctors, nurses, dentists, we only know of one type of real estate, which is buy my own house, live in it, okay? That's the type of real estate I've ever been exposed to. And maybe maybe we add a cottage, okay? So those are the two types of real estate we're familiar with. But you are now doing something that is very, very foreign to us. So the two things, multifamily and the other one, BTRSFR. Let's start with multifamily. So explain to us what this type of investment mean. Yeah, multifamily is basically any property, any asset that's five units or more is considered multifamily uh, a multifamily structure or multifamily asset or a multifamily property. Now, when it comes to investing, obviously the highest yields are in institutional multifamily assets. These are 100 plus doors, apartment communities or apartment buildings. So we basically buy the whole community, uh, which is comprised of multiple buildings or buy the whole building. It's an apartment, so it's all rental. And essentially is rather than looking at it as purchasing a piece of real estate, we're actually buying a business. The way these properties, these institutional multifamily properties are assessed is by their income, by their net operating income. Similar to when you buy a business is assessed by the EBITDA or the income that uh, business makes per year. Same thing is with multifamily. So uh, we buy these multifamily properties. Now there's different business models that investment firms can utilize. In our case, we utilize the value add business model within the multifamily asset class. And the business plan there is buy a class B or class C multifamily asset. That, that means that it was built more than 10 years ago. It's in need of some light renovation, nothing major. We go in there, the, the asset is already built, is already stabilized, meaning that is 90% 90 or more occupied. So it's, still, it's already stabilized, it can pay its debt. So we go in there, we buy the asset, we start doing some small renovations in the units that are vacant. And when we put those units back on the market, we, um, we request higher uh, rents for those units. So we increase the NOI, the net operating income 
of the asset. And in turn, we push up the asset's value. That is basically the whole crux of our business of, of purchasing multifamily. And when you compare it to single family, I mean, you made a great example that a lot of uh, people involved in the, in, in the, in the medical field, they, are very, they believe in real estate, they buy their primary residence, maybe they buy a rental property, they buy a pre-sale condo, but now they're active investors. They're getting the debt, they're involved in uh, getting the tenants there. This passive option allows them to be pa you know, passive investors. Also multifamily, because of the economies, economies of scale that exist, you can buy a hundred unit building, you can hire a third party property manager, and you know the industry rate is you pay them three to 4% of their rental income to property management. So it's very efficient rather than buying a single family or multiple single family properties or condos. Uh, multifamily is very efficient to manage and to renovate or do anything that you're planning to do with it. That makes total sense. Uh, absolutely makes sense. So the you're taking advantage of the economies of scale. Um, and you're also taking advantage of the fact that you've you bought a, a building, an asset that is, let's say, less than ideal. You bought it at a relatively good price. You put some money into it to make it a better asset and you rent it out at a higher rent. And so you improve on the value of the asset. Um, in fact, this model is what Warren Buffett does, right? He buys companies at lower value, re reorganizes it, put people, put smart people, and then the company starts making money. And then he sells the company just by improving on the operations and the flow of the company. So you do that same thing, but in real estate and multifamily. Am I understanding it correctly? 100%. Essentially, private equity. When you hear the phrase private equity, is is when you know groups purchase businesses and they make these businesses you know take them off the market uh, if they're publicly traded and then they make them perform better that's done through uh, mergers and acquisitions or that's mnas is also known as or is done through leverage buyouts um, uh, which uh, companies like blackstone uh, are very known to have done this. Now, Blackstone initially started with being a private equity firm and being focused on mergers and acquisitions and leverage buyouts, but now they have a larger allocation to real estate than they do in private equity. So it shows the strength of real estate and how it, when it's really, uh, when it's managed like, like, like it is like private equity, it, um, the, the yields are just astronomical. Now you're, you're, you're buying these buildings that have more than five units and typically what size are we talking about are we talking about 10 15 hundreds like what are we usually what is typical of a multifamily so again multifamily is a very broad term anything more than five five units or plus is considered multifamily but when it comes to us uh, private equity firms uh, investment firms we look for 100 plus uh, uh, doors so it has to be 100 doors or more it, it can be one building or multiple buildings uh, which, which is comprised of which we call it a community or a building. And again, the reason there is economy of scales because we can bring on a property manager who manages the whole asset for us for a portion of the rent. Whereas if you buy a 10 unit or a 15 unit, it's not the same ratio. You can't just pay three, three or 4% of the rents collected to the property management. The ratios are much higher, could be as high as 10%. Um, so again, that's where you know, the, the yields exist because of the economies of scale. Got it. And and this is important. The economies of scale is important. So now the second type of real estate that you guys are expert in is the built to rent single family rental, BTR, SFR. 
How's that different? What does it do? What is it that you're in fact investing it? BTRSFR, so give you a quick history about BTRSFR. Again, the, the name Blackstone comes into this story again. So post-2008, post-GFC, great financial uh, crisis that was there, the uh, uh, you know mortgage crisis that was there here in the U.S. and affected the, most of the world's economy. Um, because of what was taking place, a lot of homes were being put on the, on the market at well below market value. There were, people were defaulting on mortgages because people owned you know, an individual owned many homes that they couldn't, uh, they didn't, they couldn't debt service these loans, but their, you know, their mortgage laws were not there. People owned many different properties. So after the mortgage crisis started, a lot of people defaulted on their mortgage and now the banks were sitting with all of these uh, homes. So they started auctioning them off at pennies on a dollar. So Wall Street got involved and they start buying these single family homes, um, uh, you know, in, in hundreds, even thousands in some cases, tens of thousands in some cases. And the plan was to hold these properties and then uh, sell them when the, mar when the market turned because we know real estate is cyclical and uh, they were hoping to sell it in, later on. But then it started, Wall Street started renting these homes while they were owning it. And they were starting to perform just like multifamily. They were actually performing just like they were horizontal multifamily. Single family homes as a community or as a portfolio, they were performing the same. So the yields were, there were a lot of yields to be, to, you know, to, to be achieved there. But then a few years later, the, the, uh, the market turned around. It was more difficult for Wall Street to start buying uh, large amounts of single family homes. So what they started to do, they actually started building single family homes in a portfolio, which the purpose was rental. That's where kind of spawned this new asset class, which is known as BTRSFR or built to rent single family rental. Uh, for example, in our case, we look for uh, single family communities, which is all part of the same community. They're not scattered. And our, our sweet, sweet spot is 60 to 80 or 60 to 90 single family homes, which are part of the same community. We buy the whole community. We buy all the homes and we manage it and rent it uh, just as we would do an apartment building. Now, in in some cases, BTRSFR is actually more superior to multifamily because they're all individual detached single family homes. Uh, most of these pro uh, properties have a two car garage attached to the home. So there's nobody living above you, below you. You have your own privacy. And rather than living in a community that some people own, some people rent, everybody within that community rents. Uh, the economies of scale is there as well. So it's a up and coming asset class. So if any of your listeners just Google's BTR SFR or jump on YouTube and put BTR SFR, they'll see so much content that exists about this new asset class. Very, very interesting. So developers, instead of building a house to sell and walk away and exit, they build the house for the intention to rent and make money off the uh, annuity of the rental 100 no there's one caveat here ah. no a lot of your listeners are canadian so yes. they're used to the rent to value ratios that exist in most of the major cities in, in canada like vancouver and toronto where that rent to value ratio is 20 basis points uh where 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 one month's rent equals to uh 0.2 percent of the assets value the rent to value ratios are not there for this 
business model to work in Vancouver, Toronto, or any of other larger cities in across Canada, like you, you know the Calgarys and what have you. But a lot of places in the U.S., their rent-to-value ratios are high. They they have something called the one percent rule. So one month's rent of a property of an asset, be it multifamily or single family, equals to one percent of the of the property's value. The yields are so high there that it actually makes sense for a developer to go in and build for rent. And when they stabilize the asset, meaning that they have rented out all the units that are 90% or more occupied, they can go and sell that asset either to a REIT or to another institution or to a syndication group upon because of the NOI they're receiving on the asset that they have rented out. Very interesting. Thank, thank you for clarifying, clarifying that. For sure, the cost of building in Canada and big centers like Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, the cost of building does not justify the amount of rent that you take uh, from from that uh, from that asset. But you know, to your point, these are you know possible. These type of real estate models are possible down in the U.S. where homes are much cheaper. But are these type of model also appropriate for smaller centers like Kitchener, Alliston, Georgetown, you know, all these smaller cities? Is this a model that is also viable? I don't I personally don't think so. I think the only way BTRSFR will be viable viable in Canada is if government gets involved. Uh, as you're aware, most of Canada, we have strict rent control laws. So this idea of increasing rents and uh, bringing rents to market rate is not it doesn't exist. That's why you have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, the, the standards of living is very low in a lot of apartment buildings across Canada because the property owners can't just bring the rents to market because they're restricted of that, uh, whatever the restriction is, one and a half per, uh, or two and a half percent per annum. Uh, in the U.S., even in places like California, who have which which has very restrictive rent control laws, their rent their their rental increases is the rate of inflation. So, for example, this year, inflation that, what is it, that currently is at 7% or 6.4%. They can increase the rent by that amount, plus, I believe, another percentage on top of that. So, one of the reasons is restrictive rent control laws across Canada. Second thing is construction cost. Uh, Canada has higher construction costs than the U.S. Um, and uh, thirdly is that even though rents seem high, rents compared to property values are still very low in Canada. They're not, and when you compare it to other places in the U.S., for example, it's uh, totally not even, uh, you know, they're completely uh, much lower in Canada than they're in the U.S. You know, I, I absolutely see that. I was looking at a uh, Facebook ad recently. Believe it or not, I still use Facebook. I'm one of the older guys in the group. So uh, I don't know what Instagram and TikTok is, by the way. So I still look at Facebook and uh, someone was showcasing a beautiful, gigantic, almost 7,000 square foot man mansion in the middle of Houston somewhere. And guess what? It was only $280,000 US. But the rent course. for that place, the rent for that place is 3,500 bucks. There you go. So but that breaks that 1% rule. If that same home was, in somewhere in Canada, the rents wouldn't be there. The rents would be much, much less, right? So that is that is all about that yield. It's all about the cap rates, as they're also known in commercial real estate. Exactly. So imagine you can have a beautiful seven thousand square foot mansion, 
at 280,000 and still rent it out at 3,500. Whereas in Toronto for 280,000, I think you buy a toilet or something like that. Uh, and you can't, <laughs> you can't rent it for 3,500. So the math does not make sense here in Canada. So I, I get that. So what you're, what I'm understanding is that if I really wanted to invest in this type of real estate, BTR, SFR right now, the only market for that is in the US. That's right. That's right. Be, uh, multifamily as well. I mean, there are groups uh, across Canada that invest in multifamily, but when you compare the yields they provide to their investors compared to uh, American groups, it's just astronomical. The, the, the Americans just blow them out of the water. Uh, it's just usually there is uh, red tape and there's difficulties with, with um, double taxation or other concerns that stop Canadians from investing with groups in the US. And that's that's really what sets CPI Capital apart because we partner with Canadian investors to acquire US multifamily and BTR assets. Just to give me a, a sense of the magnitude. So um, what is the yield if I were to invest a dollar with CPI today or any other company that buys multifamily real estate in the US versus I use that same dollar to invest in another company that does multifamily in Canada? What are we talking about in terms of yield? What does the comparison look like? First comparison is there is most cases you won't have any uh, cash on cash return. You won't have any distributions clo near closing in, in any Canadian product because they have to create equity. They have to be in that project for a while before they can give you any distribution. So you will hear you, if you call any Canadian firm who invests in Canada, in most cases, they will not. Uh, be cash flowing for the first couple of years at least. If they are cash flowing after that, let's say it's a five-year business plan, uh, the cash flows are going to be very nominal, probably less than less than five percent. A lot of you now, even with the higher interest rates that we're at currently, and kind of the market, there is still a gap between what the sellers want and what buyers are willing to pay right now in the U.S. So uh, the the market is kind of choppy over the next couple quarters. But still in this environment, you're getting cash flows. Early on, you would you would hit that five percent cash flow the first year, and then goes up from that. That's 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 the first um, difference that you can see. Secondly, is your your average annualized return. So you take the, you you invest a hundred thousand after five years, uh, you get your hundred thousand back, and you've made including your cash flow distributions and your um, capital gains, your back end profits. You've doubled your money. You made a hundred thousand dollars on the back end. So your average annualized returns are twenty percent per annum. Again, those are very hard uh, numbers to hit in Canada. Hard yields to hit if there isn't significant renovations needing to be done. There are groups in Canada that are buying uh, dilapidated apartment communities. Their 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 vacancy is near zero. They're going going there and do massive renovations. There are yields to be there, but there is more risk. For an asset to be stabilized from day one, for it to be cash flowing from day one and produce the type of yields that the U.S. produces, it doesn't exist. Another metric to keep in mind is a metric a lot of sophisticated investors use, which is IRR, internal rate of return. And internal rate of return really calculates the time value of money. So let's say Vuket wants to invest with a Canadian firm that invests in Canada, or uh, the other option is to invest with CPI Capital. In both cases, Vuket doubles his money. He puts 100,000 CPI in five years, he doubles his money. He puts 100,000 with ABC multifamily in Canada, he doubles his money. But in CPI's case, uh, Vuket starts receiving distributions right after closing. 
So he receives 40,000 of that 100,000 that he's supposed to receive, the doubling his money, right? So he puts in 100, doubles it in 100. He receives 40,000 in the lifetime of the project and then receives 60,000 when the project is sold. By receiving that money up front and in, 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 the, in the lifetime of the project, that creates time value of money. You can take that money, reinvest it, you can pay your car payment. So the IRR, the internal rate of return, which calculates the time value of money, is higher investing with CPI or investing with a firm that provides cash flow distributions throughout the lifetime of the project. So those are three main metrics to look out for and three reasons how U.S. real estate will blow out of the water of any Canadian real estate. So now you said something that really interests me uh, and we'll dive segue into how do I invest in company like yours that play in the U.S. market, but then we're Canadian investors. The structure that you have that you have chosen is a limited partnership structure. Uh, and so first, I would like you to explain what that structure really means. How does it work? What does it mean for me as an investor inside an LP structure? And two, I'm giving you Canadian money, but you're investing in an American asset. So how does that work? Absolutely. Now, let me break that on a bit more and let's kind of go into all options that exist when it comes to passive real estate investing, right? So one option is you want to invest in real estate, you go buy a piece of property or you partner up with someone, you buy a piece of property and you're both actively involved. So that's no longer a passive option. We want to really break down the passive real estate investing options and go through the spectrum that exists. So number one step that exists is joint venture. You partner with an individual, they're the active partner, you're the passive partner, you put up some money, they put up some money, you create a JV, a joint venture, you incorporate a company, and you have your set roles, and now you've partnered up and you go upon that venture. So it's called a JV. It's the most simple way of partnering or uh, getting a real estate venture or any other venture done. The next step after that is a limited partnership. A limited partnership is an entity, just like a JV, where a corporation is the entity, in a limited partnership, the entity is an LP, a limited partnership. A limited partnership is an entity that is comprised of the limited partners, the silent partner, the capital uh, of the deal, the, the people who put up the money, and the general partner that is the brain power behind it, that is the, uh, the skipper of the boat, the, the, the manager of the project. The limited partners, the names are on it, they have, they're limited partners because they have limited liability. Their only liability into the project is the capital they've invested. They're not signing off on the loan. They're not, uh, uh, they don't have any litigation concerns as far as the deals going sideways. The general partners have unlimited liability. They're signing off on the loan. Anything that goes wrong is on their shoulders. And um, a, a, a great way for you to understand or for your listeners to understand what a limited partnership is, is to go back a few hundred years and when North America was found and the people in Europe were rushing to North America for all the riches that existed here with, uh, you know, gold and, uh, you know, uh, all the natural resources that existed. So there were captains and their crew. They needed funding to get a ship together, to get a crew together, to get some uh, all their supplies together to go to this new world and bring the riches back. So they would go to wealthy individuals and they say, hey, listen, we're going to put our lives on the line. We're going to put up the crew. You just got to put up the money for us to get this boat together. We're going to go to this new world. If we travel and along the way the boat sinks, we we lose our lives. You just lose some money. If we get there and 
and something happens over there with the First Nations and we lose our lives, we lost our lives, you just lost somebody. But if we come back with the riches, now we divide up the riches. You take a share, we take a share. A limited partnership is, is essentially that, is the general partner or is also known as the sponsor. We, we, we scout the deal, we come up with a business plan, we create the marketing material for our investors, we engage our lawyers and accountants, we put the whole structure together and our investors fund the deal and then we, we go out there and we execute the business plan. Usually this partnership that exists between the LPs and the GPs, any profits that are made are divided between the limited partners and the general partners. In our case, in the world of real estate, those profits are usually divided 70% to the investors and 30% to the general partners. In the world of private equity, we were talking about earlier, but Blackstones of the world is usually 80-20 split. 80% to the investors, 20% to the private equity firm. The reason for that is is usually a much higher amount. You're buying hundreds of millions of dollars of companies. So that's, we talked about joint ventures. We talked about limited partnership, the structure that CPI uses, but there's other structures that people can utilize to invest in real estate as well. Those are called funds. And funds, uh, funds now can also be structured in a limited partnership, but a fund is a basket of assets. So when you invest in a fund, you're not sure exactly where your money is being invested. The, the, the sponsorship or, or the fund management team can raise the capital they need and then they go out there and buy multiple multifamily projects and they hold them as part of a fund. Funds are usually like a 10-year fund. You have evergreen funds, so uh, they usually don't have a redemption period for, for, for a first few years, so they're illiquid for the first few, few years. So that's the third option. And then the fourth option is REITs, Real Estate Investment Trusts. REITs are publicly traded. Uh, public REITs are publicly traded. They're similar to funds, but they're liquid. Uh, you can exit them anytime you want. You can buy a REIT and then sell them the next day or the next hour, really. Um, and those are the, really the four main structures that sponsors or real estate investors use to allow passive investors or limited partners or investors to join. Joint ventures, limited partnership, funds, and REITs. Thank you. Thank you very much, August, for going through that spectrum with us. And I think it was very, very useful with the with explaining the idea of a limited partner through the first settlers and Europeans. Uh, and so that, that was an amazing uh, story to explain to us what a limited partner is. So thank you very much for that. And so you were saying how in a limited partnership, the most I can lose is the amount that I put in. So if I put in a dollar, at most, I'll lose a dollar. If I put in 100000 at most, I lose 100000 If someone decides to sue the project because of whatever reason, if there's budget overruns, uh, there's uh, some guy who died uh, while on the job, it does not affect the investors in the LP, but it does affect the sponsor in the GP. Is that correct? That is correct. Exactly. The, the LPs are sheltered in this structure that they're 100% passive and they're 100% sheltered from any litigation or any other concerns that exist in this structure. In this type of um, structure, LP structure, not only can we invest in multifamily, built to rent single family rental, are there other types of investments that is also suitable for an LP type of uh, partnership? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's break down the commercial real estate. So commercial real estate is comprised of multiple asset classes. So you have multifamily, you have this new uh, kind of superstar asset class, BTRSFR that we talked about, built to rent, single family rental. You have office space, which is at a very bad situation currently. A lot of people working from home, not going back to the offices. So office space is not doing really well. You have retail, um, you have industrial and you have hospitality. These are the main asset classes within the commercial real estate uh, uh, space. And uh, investors, depending on what, what they believe, but depending on what asset class they feel bullish about, they can then seek out a sponsor who specializes in, within one of these asset classes. So they can seek out a sponsor who specializes in industrial. Believe it or not, over the last 20 years, uh, commercial real estate has actually beat the S&P 500 uh, when it comes to the yields. And that's because of the, of the uh, leverage that we're allowed to um, utilize. But industrial was the, was the top horse within the race beating multifamily. So it was industrial multifamily and it went down from there. But yeah, if they, they believe in industrial because of Amazon and a lot of other businesses, they can seek out a sponsor who focuses on industrial asset and invest with them. Now, that sponsor might choose to utilize a different structure to structure the deal or a different entity. They might do a JV or they might do a LP syndication or they might do a fund. So they also have to then make that decision relative, depending on how fast they want to have their money back, what, what amount of risk they want to take, what amount of involvement they want to have. They also got to seek a sponsor that utilizes structure they feel comfortable with and not the only the asset class. Got it. Thank you. So, I'm listening to you and my skin is tingling and my hairs are standing up. I'm like, this sounds great. How do I participate? But more importantly, the question is, when I'm listening to these type of things, I'm I'm a physician. I, I don't understand real estate and I want to get started. I want to put get my my toes wet. I would ask you, so what are the types of individuals or what are the types of characteristic individuals that will be well suited for something like yours, a, a LP structure or this type of passive investment? Who are the people that you're looking for? No, no, great question. So you're talking about the eligibility. So really, when anytime that you're utilizing a structure to allow passive investors to partner with you, if you have a business venture, be it real estate or any other venture, as soon as you're going out to the public and you're raising capital for your venture, you're triggering security compliance um, uh, regulation. Uh, you know, you have to comply by the securities regulation that exists within the uh, region that you're raising capital. So if you're in Vancouver, you're raising capital for your project and you're raising from, uh, uh, you know, Vancouver investors in Vancouver, you have to comply by the British Columbia Securities Commission. And in, in Canada, uh, unlike the US, uh, every province has its own Securities Commission. Now, the Securities Commissions, uh, basically, they they guide us and uh, it's not really much guiding there, but they, they oversee us. So they, 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 the rules there go as, hey, August and CPI Capital, you want to raise, raise money for your deal, you have to comply with our, with our rules, which is called the exempt market. Why is it called the exempt market? Why are we within that exempt market? Uh, because if you want to raise capital for a venture, you have to actually go through the public market. You have to go through an IPO. But we go back to the Securities Commission and we're like, hold on a second. We just might buy an apartment building. 
The security commission says, fine, you want to do something quick, you can use this list of exemptions that exist that you can utilize. For example, one of those exemptions is the accredited investor exemption. It's called the prospectus uh, exemption. So accredited investor is someone individually who makes $200,000 a year or with their spouse combined, they make $300,000 a year. And this is gross or is someone who has $5 million of net assets, not including any uh, mortgages. This what is either or, right? This is what constitutes a, an accredited investor. So if CPI Capital or any other group is utilizing the accredited investor exemption, then they can only market and sell their securities to an accredited investor. So seek out the asset class you believe in, seek out the sponsor who is focused on that asset class, then figure out what structure they're using and you realize they're using the limited partnership structure or fund structure. And then in your communications with that sponsor, you say, what's the eligibility to be able to invest with you? In most cases, they will say you need to be accredited. And then there's some level of verification you have to go through to prove that you're accredited. Um, and there's also other ways. There is another exemption called, uh, for example, uh, there's an offering memorandum exemption. It's also known as, uh, I call it the uh, prospectus light. So it's, it's a comprehensive document that the sponsor puts together, general partner puts together, provides this document to the limited partner, to the investor. They have to read the, through the document. And as long as they've been provided the offering memorandum, then they don't have to be accredited. So the accreditation really depends on what exemption the sponsor is using to raise capital. But that will come down the, uh, the line as you start the conversations with the sponsor that, is, uh, that you're looking to invest with. So other private equity uh, investors who are looking for, you know, Mr. Mrs. Joe investor in a property investment like yours, who are the types of ideal clients that you would like to work with or other people like to work with? What are the characteristics? Like I'm a physician. I'm very busy. I don't have time. Am I an ideal investor? I'm very conservative. I, am I an ideal investor? Uh, I like real estate, but I don't know. I don't know what it means. Uh, I just want to invest. Am I an ideal investor? Who are the people and characteristics that are, um, I would say, uh, suitable for this type of investment? So I'll answer that question in, 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 in a few different ways. Number one, physicians are the perfect avatar when it comes to passive investor options because they're busy professionals, they're high income earners, they're very focused, they're specialized, they're very focused into their, uh, uh, you know, into their practice. And uh, they're, they're, they're great. In most cases, they're, they're accredited and you have close to 100,000 or more than 100,000 uh, physicians across Canada. So they're perfect candidate when it comes to investment firms like us for us to focus on that type of investor physicians. In the U.S., you have over a million uh, physicians uh, in the U.S. So absolutely, physicians are great. But now, other way of answering your question, when it comes to a sponsor, when it comes to the captain of the ship, right, that we, we kind of made the comparison to, the, this is a partnership. This is a marriage. We're going to be in business for at, at, at least five years in most cases, right? So the same way that an investor seeks and vets a sponsor or a general partner to invest with, 
the sponsor, the general partner is doing the same thing, right? If they hear that, hey, this person is very busy, they're a high income earner, they believe in real estate, they're asking very reasonable questions, that's a perfect person to invest with. But then you have someone who wants to be very actively involved, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've called you multiple times on many different deals, but they never pulled the trigger. So it's, it, you know, it's really how much time is it going to take to do your investor relations for a client? So sponsors also pick and choose who they want to invest with. Uh, but, but yeah, as far as physicians, they're probably the perfect candidate when it comes to limited partnership investors. My last question, which I started asking before, but we haven't really answered. So I'm Canadian, I'm in Ontario, or I'm in Montreal, or I'm in BC, but the assets are in the US. So how does that work? No, great question, great question. So what, what you're alluding to is the forest, Forex risk. So anytime that you're investing, so for example, CPA Capital, we when we first syndicated our first few first two deals we were requesting our investors to um do the do the conversion convert their canadian dollars into usd and invest with us their usd dollars we requested them to open a usd a us dollar account with their current canadian institution so if they were td open a us uh, us account with td all their monthly distributions will be deposited into their Canadian USD account um, and uh, their capital gains when the project is sold, the back-end profits will also be in USD. Now, if the time when they invested their funds, the US dollar was strong and then when when the, the asset was sold, the US dollar is weak, they receive obviously more Canadian dollars. But uh, the decisions we've made, because the Canadian and US dollar over the years have been at that approximate one, you know, 1.25 to 1.35. We know that the fluctuation is not going to be as extreme as it was post GFC, where it came to being at par. And right now, again, the US dollar is doing really strong. Uh, currently is at 1.35 or 1.36. So the, the Forex risk exists for investors. And that's something for them to 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 uh, to think about. However, the decisions we've made with our investors, even though, is that because we just want to make the most streamlined process possible, we're not requiring our investors to uh, convert their Canadian dollars into U.S. They can invest their Canadian dollars with us, and they'll receive Canadian dollar returns. We'll do the conversion for them, but there is a force, forex risk that's involved. That's something that I haven't really seen anyone being able to um, change that because it's really out of our hands, right? And so another question is more maybe of a tax question, and I'm not sure I'm posing it correctly. So I'm investing a dollar in Canadian dollar. I'm investing in a company like yours, uh, which is a Canadian company, uh, and you guys are located uh, or you guys are registered in BC, correct? That's right. Right. So I'm investing in a BC company or I'm investing in a Ontario company or in a company in Manitoba, Quebec, whatever it is, but they hold assets in the US. And so when I get my return back, I get it in Canadian dollars, fair enough. But is there a tax issue or a tax slip or I have to report it differently to the Canadian government? Yeah, so again, this depends on the sponsorship that is focused on US multifamily. So if there is a concern with 
tax liabilities or having to file U.S. taxes or the cumbersome steps that might exist with filing U.S. taxes or dealing with the IRS, that's a question that the investor who believes in U.S. real estate should ask the sponsor. In our case, the structure we've created is that the, the investors will be investing in a Canadian limited partnership. The partnership will be filing the taxes on behalf of the investors and the investors don't need to deal with the IRS. They don't need to file U.S. taxes. Um, they, they will be receiving their dividends and they'll be receiving their uh, capital gains from the Canadian Limited Partnership. Every year they will be provided with their tax slip that they take to their accountant and they say, these are the profits I've made from my investment in CPI Capital and no need to deal with the IRS or um, uh, cross-border taxation or other issues. Got it. Thank you very much for that, because I have heard of a lot of commercials about, you know, trans-border, cross-border investment in U.S. properties. So if I were to, me, Vuket Tran, buy a condominium in uh, Florida, then I would have to be subject to all those type of issues. But what you're saying is, if you're investing with a Canadian company who's registered in Canada and the LP is Canadian, it doesn't matter where the assets are. The, the the reporting and the taxes still is to report to the CRA and not to the IRS or other countries. Yeah, it's important to differentiate Vuket buying a piece of property himself and the steps he needs to, he needs to take to file taxes for the in the US or in Canada. And it's important if Vuket has decided to be a, a passive investor, a limited partner in, in either, either a fund or a syndication. So that's a case-by-case -case situation. That's a sponsor-by-sponsor -sponsor situation. Does this, this sponsor that you're looking, this general partner you're looking to partner with, do they require you to file U.S. taxes or do they not? Uh, we have to make that differentiation because if you were to go buy a property in the U.S., Obviously, you have to file U.S. taxes. You also have filed Canadian taxes. You're actively involved and, and what have you. You have to get a mortgage. You have certain liabilities. You need certain insurances in the U.S. But when you're a passive investor, the first question needs, that needs to be asked from the general partner or the sponsor is, do I need to file U.S. taxes? Very important, very important. I have a few colleagues who are now currently looking at buying real estate in the U.S. in their own personal name and not as part of an LP or not as part of a uh, investor uh, project. So that's why that, cash, that question came about. But if you're doing it yourself and buying real estate on your own, there are absolutely more tax questions to be answered. That's right. And, and a good cross-border accountant will, will assist them with that. Somebody who's been experienced doing that. If you're looking, if you're seeking a, uh, you know, an, an advisor, a consultant, make sure that they've done this many times in the past. And that's what they, you know, you never want to go see uh, if you're, if you have issues with your heart, you don't want to go see an eye doctor, right? If you want to do cross-border taxation, you need help with cross-border taxation and buying a place in the U.S., don't go see your regular accountant. He'll have no, he or she will have no idea what you're talking about. Go see someone who does this every day. Right, right. You know, I always joke with my patients when I when I need to do a lumbar puncture and they ask, have you ever done this before? And my answer is no, you're my first patient. And that usually gets them smiling. That's right. Okay, well, thank you very much, uh, August, for entertaining us uh, with this question, but also providing us a lot of information about um, the LP structure about uh, investing in multifamily and this new asset class called BTR 
SFR, which sounds quite interesting. So uh, thank you very much for, for giving us your time. Thank you very much, August. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for listening this far. And the point of this podcast was not to endorse any product or any services, but to let the audience know that there are many ways to invest in real estate. And now that there is this new type of real estate investment that exists in the U.S., uh, it would be important that people uh, at least learn about it and consider whether this is good in their portfolio or not. The other reason for this podcast was to truly understand what a GP and an LP is and how many of us can invest in real estate without actually buying brick and mortar ourselves and how to participate in passive real estate investment. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please share with your friends, your colleagues, your pets, your pet turtle, and even your neighbor. So thank you very much, and I will see you guys next time. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.